The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anchu Kana. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined, as always, by Anshu Kana. Anshu, are you ready to take a look back at week two, my friend? Let's do it. It was not good for me from a fantasy perspective, but won a couple bucks on a couple games, so hopefully, you know, the fantasy thing turns around for me. How would your teams do overall? Actually went 4-0 this past week, which is a rarity, especially when playing in four leagues when your teams are all different, but I got lucky. One game I won by less than a point. Uh, I got very lucky, and (laughs) I was actually going up against uh, Baker Mayfield there on Monday night, and he just did enough not not to beat me, so that was... That was pretty good. I feel pretty good about uh, where I where I ended up, especially after going fifty percent in week one. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. I feel like when you're in a bunch of leagues as you and I are in terms of redrafts, I mean, you've just got to kind of hope to break even, and that it'll it all sort of evens out over the course of the season. So four and is nice. Well done. Thank you, sir. And uh, we're going to try to help you guys get back to the winning ways as well if you didn't or continue them if you haven't. But uh, before we do that on our second show of the week, we want to obviously recap last week's games in week two. And I think that's kind of going to be the theme for us here on you is to kind of look back on the previous week in our first show of the week. And then in our second show, we'll preview what's to come. So without further ado, why don't we get right down to it? Uh, Let's talk about the Thursday night football game, and Jameis Winston did just enough on the road to beat the Panthers and improve to 1-1. Obviously, you know, we talked a lot about Jameis last week because you and I were both high on him in week one, and he just did not perform. But he comes out with a pretty solid rushing attack as well. Chris Godwin has a big game. Uh, Not not earth-shattering numbers, but he did enough to keep his job at least for another week. And then Cam Newton, obviously, with the injury, not sure if he's going to play going forward this, this coming week. Yeah, really ugly, weird game, kind of what we've expected from Thursday night with these division games coming off a short week, especially week two. And now we know that Cam Newton is out coming going forward. So um, even despite that, he still throws for 333 yards, which is pretty impressive, all things considered. Throws 51 passes, uh, rushes another two times, doesn't get any yards. That seems more apt given his foot injury. But, um, you know, just a weird game. And, um, you know, a lot of survivor pools may have died with Carolina there on Thursday night uh my advice is do not pick a team on thursday night even in the home you know a home favorite i I would just avoid it at almost all costs uh to your point i I think the biggest takeaway that tampa game obviously chris godwin looks good and mike evans has been kind of ill and not quite the same in the first few weeks but peyton barber 23 carries 82 yards for you know a backfield that we thought was all ronald jones and mary maybe a little bit of dario gungawale no cat rushes for Ogunbowale and Peyton Barber just totally taking over. So kind of interesting there from Tampa and uh, something to watch for sure going forward since Bruce Arians, we know, loves to pass and uh, he seemed to commit it to the run in this game. Yeah, and that's something that they obviously want to do and they'll help Jameis in a big way going forward if they can kind of get the run game going. I know we saw Ronald Jones have a decent game in week one, and this week it's Peyton Barber who seems to be a favorite of Bruce Arians. So we'll see what that looks like going forward. Uh, I know that it's early in the show here to get this out of the way, but uh, Dunn's dumpster fire of the week. I just want to knock this out because I clearly brought karma upon myself by having the Browns be my dumpster fire of week one. And the dumpster (laughs) fire of the week this week is brought to you guys by BetOnline. If you haven't been using BetOnline, definitely go to BetOnline.ag. Check out their lines for week three. Uh, I'm looking at a few games here, aren't you? Even the Thursday night game this week, it's a tight line. They've got uh, the Titans at minus one and a half. 
Uh, the over-under at 39.5, obviously expecting that to be a bit of a defensive struggle. My Bengals are six-point road dogs against the Bills. I'm taking my Bengals in that one. I like that. Uh, Atlanta seem to get things right, and they go on the road to take on the Colts. I like a lot of road dogs this week. I don't know about you, Anshu, but uh, there's a lot of big matchups in Week 3. We've got Baltimore going on the road to take on Kansas City, Houston at the Chargers, New Orleans at Seattle, Rams at Browns, and Bears at uh, uh, Redskins, excuse me. Uh, so a lot of good games here. Check out the lines at Bet Online if you haven't already. Uh, definitely go sign up. You can get a fifty percent sign up bonus with our promo code Podcast One. That's Podcast O N E. Again, that's fifty percent to sign up now at BetOnline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. All right, Anshu. Without further ado, the dumpster fire of the week for this week is my Cincinnati Bengals and. You know, I know this was your lock of the week last week, so I, I, this is not an intentional troll of you. This is just simply looking at the game and what it was and how bad it became. I mean, obviously they had injuries. Cordy Glenn doesn't play. Andre Smith goes down at left tackle. Michael Jordan goes down at guard. Pretty much every offensive lineman that took the field in this game ended up being on the sidelines by the end of it. And the Niners just carved them up with the run and the pass in this one. Just when I say... Jimmy Garoppolo is not a good quarterback. He comes on the road to Cincinnati and takes care of my Bengals. What did you see here in this dumpster fire of the week? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line woes were definitely a big factor. And, I, you know, I defer to them. I, I like the fact that they, in neutral game scripts, the Bengals have suddenly turned from one of the most run-heavy teams under the Marvin Lewis regime to one of the pass-heaviest under Zach Taylor, which I think is a good thing going forward. This just wasn't their game. I, I mean, I'm I'm very surprised. Obviously, I had them as a lock of the week. That was ill-conceived. I did think Cordy Glenn was playing. Probably wouldn't have changed my mind too much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the protection just wasn't there, and it just cratered over the course of the game. You could tell those middle two quarters where the Niners just sort of ran away with this game. Just a couple, you know, a couple bad fluky-ish turnovers, and their defense just was not ready for Kyle Shanahan, which is surprising when you think of, you know, McVay and Taylor kind of coming from the same tree along with Shanahan. They're sort of distant cousins, as uh, our friend is, of Kyle Shanahan as well. So, um, you know, I, I just I, I was surprised with that. I was disappointed, but I think much, much better days are ahead for all the Bengals players and the team in general. We'll see. They've got to get healthy. There's two bright spots here in this game. One of those is Tyler Boyd catches all 10 of his targets for the 122. John Ross has a garbage time touchdown for 66 yards on a fourth down conversion. Toward the end of the game, he finished with another 112 yard and touchdown in this game. But the big story from a negative standpoint is the Bengals rushing game just cannot get things going. Joe Mixon came in a little bit banged up. He ends up playing, but he only goes 11 for 17. The team goes 19 for 25, and the Niners end up with 259 on 42. I mean, you're just not going to win a game when you're giving up that much on the ground and getting nothing accomplished on the ground yourself. Uh, they were in it for a very short time in the first half, and that faded quickly. So, again, my Bengals, they've got some work to do. They're going to Buffalo. It will be a tough crowd, but they need a win desperately on the road. And uh, like we said, the, the bet online odds don't look to be in their favor. Uh, I will also say that they're tackling for a team that looked much better in week one. They have the worst pro football focus grade for tackling in the entire league, and that includes the woeful Dolphins. So they just got to be better than that, especially against a team like San Francisco, which is going to test you with that stuff. I mean, they're not going to exactly, they're not exactly a high flying offense. So to your point, they just got to be like, the Bengals are going to be bad if they're not fundamentally sound on defense. That's just the way it's going to be. So they've, they've got to be better on that side. Yep. And that's been an issue. And we saw it. I mean, if you watch that game for five minutes, you could tell that the worst tackling team in the NFL, I mean, the, the, the running backs just there would be no hole there and there would be one missed arm tackle. You don't even slow the guy down and he breaks a, a 30, 40 yarder. It was just, it was that bad. So hopefully they turn it around. They're going to need to figure out the offensive line and the defense, uh, the tackling, especially to your point, very good point and well taken. The, if it wasn't going to be this game as the dumpster fire of the week, it was definitely going to be new England at Miami. You just mentioned the lowly dolphins. I mean, it, this might be the dumpster fire of the year. Uh, this, this team, I, they, they lose 43 to nothing. Never got anything going. Uh, you know, you're, you say uh, Balage just ducking under a pass that, that goes over his head. Fitzpatrick throws multiple touchdown uh, interceptions that were returned for touchdowns. It, it got ugly quick in this one, aren't you? I mean, first of all, the Dolphins 
What do you do? Do you go to Rosen even though he hasn't looked much better? Do you just trade everybody like they've already started with Minka Fitzpatrick being the first one to go to Pittsburgh? And New England, I mean, everything looked good. Uh, Antonio Brown has the big touchdown. Sony Michelle got things going on the ground. And Tom Brady looks rejuvenated with this offense. Obviously, it's the Dolphins, and you don't want to overreact. But how bad has this gotten? It's gotten horrible, and it's not just Mika Fitzpatrick. It's obviously Laramie Tunsil. It's, you know, Kenny Stills. It's, you know, injuries. Kenyon Drake has barely played. Their offensive line is a complete disaster. Uh, there is nothing good about this Miami team right now, and I, I really do mean that. Like, they're, they're not good above average in any way, according to Pro Football Focus's ranking. So that just gives you, I think, the one thing they're somewhat okay with is run offense, which they've barely even gotten any carries from the running back. So, you know, it's, it's just been a disaster for those of us. And I, I'm one of them who drafted Kenyon Drake in some leagues disasters. I mean, just, you know, I, I got to think, you know, the question is, you know, I, I like Josh Rosen. I would not throw him into this, honestly, because he's, and they're giving him little bits and pieces here, but he's just, you know, this is not the situation where you want to test him because, you know, you can get into bad habits, you can get him injured, um, you might as well just toss out a 38-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick and see what you've got and hope that he can get the ball to Preston Williams and, you know, Jakeem Grant and some of these guys so in a bad. pass off and Devontae Parker. But they're so bad. And from someone who started, made the unfortunate mistake of starting Ryan Fitzpatrick in a two-quarterback league, trust me, you do not want him anywhere near a lineup. And, uh, yeah, it's, this is really bad. Imagine a year ago I saw this week. A year ago this week we had the Fitzpatrick with Deshaun Jackson press conference after that Tampa Bay game. Could you imagine a bigger difference from then to now for him? I mean, this is the, maybe the worst team we've ever seen in the NFL. Yeah, that's a great point. If if there's ever a team that looks to be one to go in sixteen, this is the this is the team. Obviously, we saw the Browns be the most recent one to do it. The the Dolphins are looking like they would be the next one, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And the Patriots, I'm excited to see the Patriots with a true test. Obviously, they blow out Pittsburgh, they blow out the Dolphins. It's 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 you know they add Antonio Brown. There's rumors that Gronk might come back. It's they they just loaded right now with talent on both sides of the ball, and it's going to be interesting to see how they face some adversity at some point when they do see a test. Uh, obviously, it probably won't happen this week, but in the weeks to come, we we will see New England with a, a formidable opponent. Opponent, but uh, so far they've just they've just taken care of business. All right, let's move on to Baltimore. Baltimore, speaking of taking care of business, they were able to hang on. They win this one 23-17 to at home against Arizona. But once again, Arizona looking better than everybody expects. Kyler Murray fin- finishes with almost 350 yards passing, doesn't throw a touchdown in this one. And David Johnson gets hurt. The run game's pretty much abandoned, but they're able to kind of hang around and at least make Baltimore work for it. But Lamar Jackson got things going on the ground. He finished with 120 yards rushing to go with his 272 passing and two touchdowns. Anshu, is Lamar Jackson for real? Yes. I mean, he looks incredible, which is crazy because, you know, objectively you look at this receiving crew, especially coming into the season, and it's just you really have to squint to see it. And, um, you know, what he's doing with this group is incredible to me. I mean, you like – Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram wasn't even good enough to be a starter on pretty much any other team in the league, and he's here, and now he's basically an RB1, fringe RB2, uh, especially in standard leagues. And, you know, Mark Andrews, the third tight end last year for Baltimore, is suddenly, you know, a burgeoning star at tight end in, in fantasy and in real life as well. Marquise Brown, barely healthy enough to play week one, plays a, like a fraction of the snaps, comes back, week two and catches eight balls for 112 yards and a touchdown. I mean, this is a real, I'm sorry, that was Mark Andrews. That's eight catches for 86 yards for Marquise Brown. Hollywood is amazing as well. This is a really interesting team and they're perfectly catered by Greg Roman all around Lamar Jackson and, and really fit his skull set absolutely perfectly. So um, I, I mean, this is a dangerous team for sure, but I think the Cardinals, you know, provided a little bit of a template for how to beat this Ravens team. I think you've got to spread them out. I, I think that David Johnson injury actually kind of served them a little bit well in that, like they were able to spread it out with Kirk and Fitzgerald bird and Keyshawn Johnson and, you know, throwing that ball around, you have to use, you have to force the Ravens into using their backups and a secondary that didn't have Jimmy Smith. So, I, I mean, I think that that was, it was really interesting uh, to see. Obviously, the Cardinals still only score 17, but to go into Baltimore and do that against, uh, you know, a very good Ravens defense, I think was pretty impressive for them. 
Yeah, and they'll face quite a test going into Arrowhead this weekend, which we'll get to on next show. Ooh. But uh, Baltimore so far so good, taking care of what they need to. Uh, what about Detroit against the Chargers? Detroit wins their first game at home, twenty-three. Excuse me, thirteen to ten. Uh, this is one that the Chargers seem to let slip away. Uh, do you think Detroit can make something of this season? They now improve to one zero and one. The Detroit Lions are undefeated through two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, this just struck me as a very obvious Chargers fade, just because. You know, coming off a narrow win where they didn't look that good, they were all banged up all week. You had the Hunter Henry news midweek. You know, you obviously have um, Mike Williams banged up, barely plays. Uh, you know, it's just it's a tough spot to go on the road, two time zones away to Detroit in the, in doors and against a team that is tough and wants to just grind it out. So this was a high variance game, and you know, thirteen to ten, not exactly gangbusters for the Lions, but like you said, undefeated probably should be two and zero had they staved off the big comeback from Kyler Murray against the Cardinals in Week One. Um, to me, the big takeaway was again. You know, that during the week, Detroit has released uh, C.J. Anderson, so it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing with on Johnson. Does he become that full, you know, bell cow type back? They used a lot of Ty Johnson in kind of the theoretic role. Um, Ty Johnson ends up with five carries for 30 yards, and he also adds uh, two catches for six yards. He was in on like 30% of snaps, I believe. So, you know, the the Lions are using both those guys, and I think if you've got on Johnson, you've got to be a little bit frustrated with that sort of split usage. Yeah, but either way, I mean, there's no denying how big of a win this is for Detroit. Uh, the Chargers sure. still have been a you know a sexy pick for people to go deep into the playoffs. Obviously, they always seem to falter when they get there, but nonetheless, they <laughs> have a lot of talent, even with Melvin Gordon still holding out. So Austin mm-hmm. Eckler with another nice game. He continues to show why maybe they don't necessarily need to pay Melvin Gordon and why running backs tend to be able to be replaceable in this league. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously Melvin Gordon being one of the better ones, he probably does end up getting a deal at some point. And it's, it's been rumored that he should be reporting by week six to eight. So uh, we'll see what, what happens with that. Uh, the Chargers should get better and they should get healthier, but uh, they've been dealt a bad hand here so far with injuries and uh, it's tough to fight through it. All right, Anshu, let's talk about the big game in the NFC North down in, I guess, up in Green Bay here in Chicago. But uh, your Green Bay Packers were able to kind of hold off Minnesota. They looked like they were really in control, and then Minnesota puts on a little bit of a – puts up a little bit of a fight there in the second half to kind of stay alive. But, uh, again, Green Bay able to hold them off a big game here from Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams kind of wakes up here as well with over 100 yards. Yeah, and we were watching this game together. I mean, Devontae Adams was getting all he wanted against Xavier Rhodes early in this game, and – Mike Zimmer made the correct uh, improvements and, and, you know, made sure as Aaron Rodgers said after the game that they weren't going to let be able to just feed Devonte Adams. And I think that may have provided a little bit of a template on how to be on how to slow down green Bay. Not that, you know, there needs to be one, but um, you know, at the same time, that first quarter showed flashes of what this offense could be like. And it, it definitely had some Rams vibes to it, uh, which I thought was really fun, obviously as a Packer fan, but um, from like a fantasy perspective, I think you're going to see a whole lot more of Marquez Valdez Scantling um, on one of the touchdowns that Rogers goes to Geronimo Allison with Valdez Scantling was wide open over the middle as well. I, I just, I have a feeling a huge game is coming for MBS. And, and if you're looking for a shoe sleeper of the week, I think that that's a guy to be looking out for, especially against the Broncos secondary next week where, uh, you know, Chris Harris might be glued to Devontae Adams. And, you know, they're obviously going to be bracketing him the way the Vikings did. So that's one to watch uh, on the Packers side for sure. I like it. What do you make of uh, the comments this week with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams expected to get uh, splitting carries going forward? Yeah, we we talked about it a little bit uh, via text. And I think you brought up some good points. Uh, You know, obviously, the Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis utilization that Matt LaFleur used in Tennessee last year was a little bit alarming, and you could see a similar situation here. Uh, you know, he wants Jones and Williams to kind of be more split. I, that, that's not surprising, the more split aspect, because this was the most touches Aaron Jones has ever had in a game. And, um, you know, when you think about Aaron Jones, he's just not quite the build of a Derrick Henry, but you know, he, I still feel like he's got to be getting 20 touches a game. Um, maybe not the 20, what, 27 that he got this game, but he's got to be getting at least 20. He's just way too good, and they just don't have enough good receivers, I think, behind Adams. So ultimately, in big spots, I still fully expect Aaron Jones to be the guy. 
you might get vultured with Jamal Williams here and there, and that's frustrating. But um, I, I still find Aaron Jones in my mind. When you think of like the landscape of running backs, to me, Jones is still you know right there at the RB one, RB two fringe. Fair enough. Another good game out of Dalvin Cook as well, which I know you oh, mentioned. So good. He's just he's he's back and he looks healthier than ever and faster than ever and uh, he's going to be a guy that uh, could carry some teams this year. It looks like to me. All right, no let's, move, let's move on. This one was a bit, a bit surprising. I actually had the Texans in my survivor pool, and I almost Ooh. I almost lost it because of uh, a narrow victory, a 13-12 to 12 win over Jacksonville at home. I, I mean, I, I was very surprised at the lack of production they were able to get through the air. Deshaun Watson finishes with only 159 yards passing. Uh, Carlos Hyde leads the way. Duke Johnson just not getting the touches that uh, I think a lot of people expected him to coming into this season. He finishes with only six carries for 31 yards this game. Uh, but they are able to hang on, and Gardner Minshew once again looks pretty good as a seventh-round pick starter here, unexpected starter uh, here in, the, in just his first start in his career, but also uh, just his second game of action. Uh, do you think Gardner Minshew is for real, at least at some level? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. And like the way that Josh Allen might have been last year. And, you know, you mentioned the 213 passing yards. He also rushed for 56, which is really nice from a fantasy perspective. Uh, you know, it, that's equivalent to, what, 150 passing yards. So pretty solid for Minshew. I think huge days are ahead for Leonard Fournette. They are giving him a ton of burn, four catches for 40 yards, in addition to 15 carries for 47. I just feel like he's about to blow up. Um, I just, like Very few backs are getting the kind of burn that Fournette is, so I know I'm a little bit biased on that with uh, some of my ownership levels on him, but I'm telling you that I, I just it's rare to find a back like that that's getting that kind of load. DJ Chark, seven catches, 55 yards, I thought, with a touchdown. That's two straight weeks with Minshew that you know he's done pretty well. Um, and then and, you know, on the Houston side, just really disappointing. Beyond Duke Johnson, six carries, zero catches for Duke Johnson. That's not what you signed up for at all. And Carlos Hyde, again, looks kind of Arian Foster-ish. So, you know, that's that's just a weird situation. I kind of feel like that's going to bounce back and forth. I, I wouldn't trust Hyde personally. Um, and, uh, you know, and then receiving-wise, you're just going to – you're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins on Jalen Ramsey most weeks. So I think that, uh, you know, you just grinned and bared for a week with that situation. Yeah, that's a tough matchup. And speaking of Jalen Ramsey, a lot of conversation out there of whether or not he will be traded. They're asking for a haul. They want two first-round picks. What do you make of Jalen Ramsey's de- demands, I guess you can call it at this point? Well, I know you're a fan. I, I Two firsts, even if he's the best. I You know, if he's the difference between winning a Super Bowl and not, maybe you do it. If you're like – say, I don't know, the Chiefs or something like that. Maybe you do it to try to get on the Patriots level. But um, Watch you know, the Patriots first... trade for him. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, but the other thing with the uh, consideration you have to have with Ramsey is that he's a free agent in 2020, and he is going to get, as our friend likes to say, paid. So <laughs> I would be a little bit concerned about the fact that it's not like a Minka Fitzpatrick situation where you have him under wraps through like 2022 i mean they're gonna have to pay him huge huge money top corner money in a very short order and that we know is a premium amount yeah and he he really does deserve it it's just you know he's one of those personalities like we've talked about where you kind of know what you're getting out of him and you know he's gonna be in uh, in the media all the time whether it's you know, talking about the opponent's receivers being trash or whatever, whatever the case might be. And yeah. you, you know, you, you like that kind of guy when things are going well, and when things aren't going well, he's a, a kind of a distraction to the team. So you just have to kind of know what you're getting in him if you're willing to put up that kind of a price to bring him on board. All right, sure. let's talk about Buffalo. This is probably the biggest surprise in the league of being two and zero. But Buffalo, you know, we talked about how good their defense is. Josh Allen looking pretty good in his second year. Frank Gore, like we said, you know, is 58 years old. He's still doing his thing. And Devin Singletary, if he could stay healthy, I know he's a little banged up as well, looking good. So what do you make of Buffalo? I know this is the Giants as their opponent. They beat the Jets in week one. But, you know, you still there's still something to be said for this team being 2-0 and after, after this week. Yeah, for sure. I One thing I really didn't expect from them is their pass blocking to be this good. Uh, they have the number six pass blocking, seven pass blocking unit, according to PFF. Overall, they've been really good. Like you said, top 10 team, according to Pro Football Focus's metrics. So pretty damn good, much better than expected. And Josh Allen leading that way. I mean, John Brown, we, we talked about him coming into the season, but Josh Allen to John Brown is such a perfect marriage of skills. 
Um, and as long as Brown can stay healthy and Allen, I think that that's going to continue to pay off for owners on both ends. And, uh, you know, Josh Allen's just not really a dink and dunk type, but Brown is, is perfect for that arm. So I think that, you know, as long as the weather's nice enough where the wind can't cut through it, I, I feel like those two guys are going to be good for, you know, if not a touchdown, a big play every week, which I'll obviously will always lead to points. What about on the other side? You have Eli Manning uh, finally getting benched. Well, not finally. I guess we're only two weeks in. But, you know, he's been what he is for a long time. They bring in Daniel Jones, obviously the first-round pick from this year. Uh, what do you make of, of this switch this early in the season? Yeah, I mean, I I still agree with what you said, which was finally, because Daniel Jones at this point clearly better than Eli Manning. And not a moment too soon. They now, I believe they play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this weekend, which has a defense that's been pretty good with the new coordinator, but, you know, obviously still gettable. And in the near future, you're going to get Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and a lot of these other players back. Evan Ingram will be healthier. And then you've obviously got Saquon Barkley and one of the league's best run-blocking offensive lines. So um, kind of a sneaky, decent, maybe, uh, fantasy offense that I think that, you know, those ancillary pieces become a little bit more valuable. And Daniel Jones, again, speaking of Josh Allen, like a guy who loves to run, he averaged 40 yards rushing per game last year for Duke um, and is obviously kind of the same frame as jo- as uh, Josh Allen in terms of size and speed. So, uh Kind of an interesting piece, I think. And again, it's all it all revolves around Saquon Barkley. So getting him going and then having the other options to pass to, I think, is going to be uh, it, it has the potential to at least be interesting. Fair enough. Where that's one quarterback change that's being made by choice. There's another one in uh, the twelve o'clock games that uh, is being made, unfortunately, uh, by force, and that's with the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Ben Roethlisberger obviously being out for the season. Uh, Mason Very Rudolph does go. He does come in and, and throw twelve and nineteen. He has two touchdowns. Does throw one pick. But you know, I know you were really high on Mason Rudolph when he was drafted. Uh, you know, I, do you think that this guy can come in? Obviously, the Steelers lose this game. They drop to zero and two. The Seahawks improve to two and zero with two very, very close game victories against AFC North opponents. Um, Russell Wilson looks great, twenty nine to thirty five. But I'd really, I'm interested to hear what you think Mason Rudolph can be, and if he can keep this Steelers team somewhat relevant during this season, or, or are they pretty much dead in the water? Uh, can I say both? I mean, they're they're clearly like their shit their odds shift from being a super bowl contender to like hopefully we have something in this young guy that could keep us sort of relevant but with the ravens sort of running away already i i mean it's really tough to envision especially with the whole that that early loss that week one loss of the patriots put them in both from like a, a point differential perspective and just like you know they're they're a team that's got to be down right now to be just be and to uh, losing this game at home to a, an uncommon opponent in Seattle that, you know, I think many, and they were obviously favored. And uh, I think many obviously assumed that they would win this game. I, it's just, it's really a tough spot to be in. I, I'm not sure that Rudolph is going to rejuvenate them because in part, James Connor just has not been very good this year. And I, when you don't have a guy to rely on like Connor, um, you know, it makes it much tougher for a young quarterback to succeed. Now they obviously have a lot of talent at the receiver position, not including Dante Moncrief, who has just been a complete unmitigated disaster for them. Um, but, you know, the other guys are decent. He obviously played with James Washington at Oklahoma State, so they've got that sort of connection going. Not completely unfamiliar for Rudolph, but I I just i am not buying that they're going to be anywhere near competitive. That being said, I, I don't know that I would, like, kill the value of Juju Smith-Schuster as others are, and obviously we saw – the two touchdowns out of Rudolph to Vance McDonald. So the the pieces on this offense, I think, are still worth something. They're just clearly worth less. Yeah, and it's it's always tough, you know. Even though Mason Rudolph is in his second year, it's always tough, uh, you know, to replace a guy who has been so good for so long. You hate to see it, uh, you know, as a, as a fan of an AFC North rival, but. No, I mean, in all seriousness, it's, it's a tough loss for the Steelers. And you, you've got to imagine, you know, even though obviously Big Ben came out and said he's going to try to come back and, uh, you know, he wants to come back and play at a high level and finish out his contract, you have to imagine he's going to at least contemplate retirement after an injury like this uh, to take him out for the year so early in the season and 36 yeah, I mean, or 37 years old. It's interesting that you say that because I, I feel like the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick was almost like – Chris Greer trying to bait 
him or Kevin Colbert trying to bait uh, Ben Roethlisberger into staying next year. Cause like that trade isn't about this year in my mind, it's about the next few years. And like, I don't think you make that trade to, you know, and it's going to be a high first round pick potentially with the Steelers with Rudolph at quarterback. I don't think you make that trade unless you feel like you've got your franchise quarterback back next year. So it's going to be interesting. And then the other side of that coin is what if Rudolph is good? Like right. now do you, now do you pull like the Rogers Favre situation? And I, I mean, can you imagine if Pittsburgh was in the position to trade Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. Um, and obviously a lot of it to your point is contingent on how Rudolph looks. But I think if he does decide to come back, Ben, I, I think they ultimately would stick with him regardless because he's done so much for that franchise. And, uh, you know, they've they've obviously been in his corner when some of the other things that have come up over the last year or two with, with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think that ultimately he's got that kind of Tom Brady-esque type of relationship with the franchise, and it's going to be uh, his decision when he wants to leave. But we know oh. in this league things can change on a dime, so we'll see. It remains to be seen. It's something we'll be following. All right, Indianapolis go to, goes on the road to beat the Tennessee Titans 19-17. to I know we, we talked a lot about the Titans and their slaughtering of the Cleveland Browns in week one, and I think both you and I expected them to come back to earth, and neither quarterback has over 200 yards in this game passing. Jacoby Reset finishes with 146, and Mariota with 154 for them to combine for 300 yards passing in this one. Yeah, ugly. I mean, really ugly, and kind of expectedly ugly. Yep. The AFC South is a total total just snooze fest cluster right now yeah it's it's not super fun to watch without andrew luck in the division but um you know we talked a lot about frank reich and what this team this colts team is without luck and it's still really solid all across the board and i i think you saw them be able to do that by beating you know an average to slightly yeah let's just call it an average team on the road in division so i mean i think you can expect more of the same from the colts and the titans throughout this year just super high variance low scoring games and um you know it's tough because if you're any team i think that against the colts the titans gave you a good idea of how to beat them they hold marlon mack to like nothing 50 yards on 20 carries behind a really good offensive line. Jordan Wilkins actually ends up outgaining him because he had a huge run in this game. So, um, you know, yeah, Jacoby Brissett gets three touchdowns, but I, I'm not sure how um, translatable some of this stuff is week over week. And then for the Titans, I mean, you can't trust any of these guys. You want A.J. Brown to play more, but, um, like, I just – Mariota's just not throwing the ball down the field, whether he's injured or whether he's been told not to. I don't know, or he's just afraid to. Or he stinks. Um, yeah, or or he could he could be terrible. He might just not be able to throw the ball down the field. So it's got to be frustrating if you're a Titans fan like your brother. I feel like if I throw any more quarterbacks under the bus, they're just going to come back out the next week and beat the Bengals. So I don't think that we <laughs> play the Titans this year, but I'd have to check the schedule before I say Marcus Mariota stinks, even though I already have. So yeah, um, <laughs> It's not good. It's, it's not. I don't blame you. All right, let's move on. Let's go to uh, the Washington Redskins. They uh, drop another one, this one at home to the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys, probably one of the favorites early in the NFC. Dak with another huge game with three touchdowns. Zeke on the ground looks good, getting back to form with over 100 yards. Uh, The big loss here for the Cowboys, Michael Gallup, who's looked so good through two games, is going to be out four to six weeks after having, I believe it was arthroscopic knee surgery. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the Redskins, Case Keenum still looks pretty good, but uh, aside from him and Terry McLaurin, things didn't look good in the run run game. And uh, Washington, you know, they, they could be in a situation where they're having to decide whether they go to Dwayne Haskins here in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, I mean, again, the numbers look pretty good for Case Keenum, like 220 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, gets, you know, I mean, coming off the game where he just absolutely ran it up on the Eagles in the first half, I like, he's stringing together decent performances and final game numbers, but they're obviously not enough to, to keep them in position to win. So uh, it's going to be tough, obviously really tough to open the season against the Eagles and Cowboys based on how they've looked in the first few weeks. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll know more in the next few weeks. I don't see Haskins starting before, let's say, week five or six. 
because Keenum has looked so good, but uh, it's coming. We all know it's coming. And, um, you know, he's basically the last rookie quarterback box to check at this point. So I, I fully expect that as well. But like you said, Terry McLaurin looks like a total revelation at receiver. They just need some others. And, you know, without Darius Geis, it's tough because like Adrian Peterson, such a shell of what he was, and they have no run game blocking of which to speak with Trent Williams still out. So um, Washington's just in a bad spot right now. Indeed, and uh, we're going to get to the the three o'clock games and uh, the the late games, obviously. But uh, before we do that, just wanted to real quick uh, mention the show this week on Podcast One. And if you like our show, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger show on Podcast One this week. Jordan joins former NBA Lakers superstar and Oscar award winner Kobe Bryant for an unforgettable conversation that you don't want to miss. Check out the Jordan Harbinger show every week on Apple Podcasts. And podcasts won. All right, Anshu, let's get to the late games. We had Kansas City on the road at Oakland. They come out the big winner again. And uh, in the first half, Patrick Mahomes just took over. He finishes with 443 yards and four touchdowns. It's starting to look like a video game for Kansas City, no matter who they're playing. Obviously, Oakland's defense hasn't been the greatest. But uh, the one bright spot here for Oakland, Josh Jacobs looks good again. But now he may be injured. That's right. Yeah. Josh Jacobs, interesting usage for him because he ended up coming out of the game quite a bit. I'm assuming mostly because of that injury, uh, because at Alabama, he caught the ball a lot. And then in this negative game script, we saw a bunch of Jalen Richard, which caused Twitter to fly into an uproar. But like you said, I think it's, I think it's injury related and I would fully expect him to be in on all game scripts for Oakland as long as he's healthy, but health is a concern with Josh Jacobs. That's why, you know, he slipped a little bit in the draft and in the late first round and, you know, why he didn't start and wasn't the bell cow at Alabama for Nick Saban. So um, the other thing I take away just in general from Oakland is there's a team that other than the second quarter outscored Kansas city. Now that may not mean much, but it was 10, nothing in the first quarter. And then Mahomes obviously rips off four touchdowns, almost five in that second quarter, which is just crazy to me. And it doesn't seem to matter who he's throwing to. Demarcus Robinson has an absolutely absurd game. Six catches, 172, two touchdowns. And Nicole Hardman at the touchdown probably should have had two. He's the one who got victimized on that poor holding penalty by LaShawn McCoy. Going to be interesting because you obviously want every piece of this Kansas City offense, but we don't know which piece is going to be starting in the backfield this week because Damian Williams uh, has a bruised knee, LaShawn McCoy, um, had an MRI on Monday. It sounds like he's going to be fine. And he practiced a little bit today on Wednesday, but you know, you're not completely sure what's going to happen with that offense in that backfield. Yeah. And at the receiver position, we saw Sammy Watkins go off week one. He finishes with just six catches for 49 yards here in week two. And I know you kind of thought this could be the coming out party for me, Cole Hardman. And as you mentioned, it almost looked like it. He still finishes with a pretty good game and you'll take that if you, if you took a flyer on him, but, but Demarcus Robinson came out of nowhere and Darwin Thompson could come out of nowhere if he ends up getting a little bit more of a workload with uh, the other oh, yeah. injuries that they're facing. So it's a great point, especially when you, you know, this is a fantasy show. We're talking about how things affect fantasy football and that you just don't know. Obviously, Travis Kelsey's going to be pretty consistent, but you don't really know who is going to hit and, and when other than Pat Mahomes in this offense. And that makes it a little tricky. You know, when you're looking at like a flex position, for example, do you take another chance on Demarcus Robinson after a big game? Do you go back to Sammy Watkins, you know, assuming that he's going to be the number one receiver on this team? Uh, and, and that's a tough call for you to make, I think. So uh, in the for running sure. back situation, you're probably staying away from week three uh, unless you have to go there. So it's it's a, it's a fun offense to watch uh, from a football standpoint but from fantasy wise you know it's it's definitely a risk when because they have so many ways they can beat you and it's only going to get murkier when Tyreek Hill comes back for sure yeah and I mean even the one that you think you can count on and Travis Kelsey he has a huge game here but wasn't great in week one and because of all the weapons and especially because Mahomes wants to drive the ball down the field I think it sort of mitigates the you know the guarantee that Travis Kelsey brings like and I think when you're in the position of deciding on whether or not to start like a Hardman or a Robinson, um, you know, I, to me, the tiebreaker is just what does the rest of your lineup look at matchups against the other team? Because, you know, if you're smart, you know, like, Hey, I've got a pretty good shot at winning this or, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to need like my 60th percentile game to win this. And if that, the latter is the case, I think you just sort of, take a shot on one of these guys because of the fact that they can single-handedly win you the week. I mean, I got to think that anyone who started Nicole Hardman pretty much won last week. Yeah, it's a great point. 
All right, let's move on. Chicago Bears fans rejoicing. They finally have a game-winning field goal, and it was a big one, a 53-yarder as time expires from Eddie Pinheiro. Uh, I know you don't like to see the Bears win a big game, but a lot of people here in Chicago do. They went at 16-14 to 14 on the road, and really this could have been the dumpster fire because the game was just so bad. Trubisky, again, <laughs> does not look good. You're starting to make me a believer in Trubisky just not being very good. He only has 120 yards through the air. Uh, bright spot, though, for the Bears, David Montgomery, who they were so high on, doesn't do anything really in Week 1. He comes out here and has a pretty decent game here in Week 2, 62 yards and a touchdown. Does that uh, give you any, uh, you know, any positive vibes for the for the Bears as they move forward? Obviously, Cordero Patterson had a big forty six yard or two, but uh, on the ground they look pretty good in this game. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm a Bears fan, seeing David Montgomery utilized this way, it's nice to see it this early because I honestly thought it would take till like week four or five. It was clear to me that Nagy was going to eventually turn to him, just like it's been clear to me that Doug Peterson is eventually going to turn to Miles Sanders. Um, but, you know, Montgomery has already taken over. And, I mean, I think that Trubisky's struggles have expedited the role for Montgomery up to the to the number one guy. So as long as he's healthy, um, you know, this, this whole offense is going to run through him and Allen Robinson, which it's not great that it's just pretty much those two guys right now. But better days – are ahead, obviously, for Mitch Trubisky. I, I mean, even a huge hater like me knows that. Like, playing on the road against the Broncos and at home against what seems to be a pretty good defense in Green Bay, um, you know, it, it's just not going to be that difficult going forward. They start with Washington next week on Monday night. That's obviously going to be much, much easier of a task. So, um, you know, if, they, if he's terrible again next week, it's going to be a different story, but I, I don't expect that. So, um, but yeah, to your point, Montgomery as a running back, huge for the Bears. Um, I, I do also expect a little bit more out of Anthony Miller. I've been really surprised at how little they've used him. He must still be banged up from the preseason injury that he had suffered. Um, on the other side, though, for Denver, Emmanuel Sanders, dude, 11 catches, 98 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets. Like, how is that possible if this guy had an Achilles injury less than a year ago and is as old as he is? He's He's unreal. Yeah, I love Emmanuel Sanders. He's he's, he, he's he's always a guy who, you know, tends to get a lot of catches. And even though he doesn't seem like he'd be a number one receiver type, he he just keeps coming back and doing it. And, you know, he had the comparisons early on to Antonio Brown, and they're very similar in the, in the way that they play the position. Uh, but it's good mm. to see him back and healthy for sure. Um, interesting comp. Yeah, uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, has a little bit of a bounce back down to earth. Uh, he only has 40, four for 40 in this one. But Royce Freeman, uh, he was a guy that you had in your sleeper in week one. He bounces back and has a nice game here, both on the ground and through the air with over 100 total yards in this game. Mm-hmm. Anything else on this one? I think we pretty much covered it. Joe Flacco's still not a very good quarterback. Um, <laughs> but in this next game, we we do have a very big story that we want to talk about, and that is Drew Brees. And Drew Brees going down very early in this one. He finishes only with five pass attempts. The Rams end up pulling away. They win it 27-9 to at home against the Saints. And this is a scary thought for New Orleans, who had Super Bowl hopes, and now they sit at one and one with potentially six to eight weeks without their star quarterback. Alvin Kamara can't get things going, only with 45 yards on the ground. He has not looked as good as he did last year, and it's probably going to be more difficult for him to look that good with this quarterback by committee that they say they're going to go with with Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. First of all, are you a buyer? Are you buying into that at all from Sean Payton? The, that Taysom Hill might be playing that they're that they're going to have a quarterback by committee. I know he's going to play. He plays when Breeze is starting, but he, he's he's been hinting at the fact that Taysom might be the person who ends up starting. Yeah, I'm I'm not buying that. I think that they'll roll with Bridgewater to start, but I think that they're giving Bridgewater the out. Where in Seattle, if things don't go well right away, I could see Peyton potentially turning to Taysom Hill at halftime or, you know, through a quarter and a half or something, if things are really bad, but like, I mean, and maybe there are just, there's just going to be more of the Taysom Hill wildcat stuff that they like to do. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's just an out for him so that he can say, Hey, you guys are assuming this. And also just, it makes Pete Carroll have the game plan for two totally different types of quarterbacks, which I think is a good thing, obviously for the saints who, to your point, one and one, need to stack wins while they can before this bye, before Drew Brees presumably comes back. If you look at New Orleans schedule at Seattle, Dallas, Tampa, at Jacksonville, at Chicago, Arizona, 
I mean, not exactly the easiest run. There, there are probably two pretty good chances of wins in there. They got to steal another one from a playoff hopeful, and then they need to get to be around 500 heading into that bye. And I don't think that's an easy uh, shot at all. Not a lot of games in the Superdome either. So it's going to be really tough. I, I'm interested to hear what you think about, you know, these other pieces of this New Orleans offense and what having Bridgewater and Taysom Hill in there means for them. I mean, I think they all take a step back. I mean, Michael Thomas is still going to get a lot of targets. He finishes with 10 catches in this game and 13 targets. Traquan Smith's a guy that you saw at times last year, uh, you know, it looked like he could be good. I remember he had that really big game on Monday Night Football last year. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he finished yep. three for 49 on a 28-yard catch, which was the longest reception of the game for New Orleans. Uh, but Jared Cook, I mean, he's a guy I thought would be such an integral part of this offense. And maybe he's a guy that takes a, a little bit of a tick up because you feel like there's going to be a little bit more of a check down type of a feel when you have Bridgewater or Taysom Hill in there. But the deep threat stuff, Alvin Kamara being able to beat you on the ground because you're worried about the pass, those things, I, in my opinion, are going to take a step back. So I think some of maybe the the middle-of-the-road types of players maybe can take a step forward and, and your your superstars maybe take a step back. But I think Latavius Murray takes mm-hmm. a huge step backwards. I think Alvin Kamara takes a step backwards. And I think even Michael Thomas, to an extent, is not going to put up the type of gaudy numbers that we expect out of those guys uh, going forward, at least for those next several weeks until we see Breeze back. Yeah, totally agree with literally everything you said. Latavius Murray is borderline droppable in my mind. I, I mean, maybe not even borderline, like unless they're just hammering the ball with those two guys. And and now you assume they'll reintroduce Taysom Hill into the run game. I mean, there's just not enough to go around where if you have Breeze, obviously you want every piece kind of like the Kansas city offense in some ways, not obviously quite as much, but uh, yeah, this is a disaster. If you've got Michael Thomas, I mean, you you still have to start him, but Things are not going to be nearly as good for him going forward, I don't think. Yeah, and for the Rams, that you know, you just compared them to Kansas City, kind of similar with the Rams. I mean, you, you yeah. like pretty much everything you saw in this game. Obviously, you might like a little bit more usage out of Malcolm Brown, but if you have him as a handcuff, you like what you saw out of Gurley. I mean, Gurley's not going to be what he's been, but he's still productive, and I think exactly. that you like to see that and like to see him stay healthy. But Cooper Cup with a big game in this one. Brandon Cooks finally gets on the board with a touchdown. It's tough when you have those three guys, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, because you don't know which one's going to break out. But if you have any of the three, you're probably still starting them regardless. It's so tough. I, I Yeah, I have Brandon Cooks in one league. I don't, I've don't. i never really owned the other two over the last few years. And part of that is just like it's just so frustrating because you know you're going to get this stuff out of Cooks where one week he's almost a week winner for you and the next he's just going to basically bagel. And the problem is the floor is so low for him. So you know, with Cup and Woods, at least you have the higher floor. Like you still have the games like this out of Robert or out of Cooper Cup. I mean, Robert Woods, you rarely see this low of a performance. Two catches, 33 yards. So if you've got him, that's that's just so frustrating. But you know, you, you know what you signed up for if you spent a premium pick on any of these three guys, and it's just kind of is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah, and you hope that uh, guys like Woods can bounce back like the Atlanta Falcons did on Sunday Night Football. And I don't know about you, Anshu, but I was a little bit surprised. I was a little bit surprised to see the Falcons do as well as they did. I mean, Matt Ryan does throw three interceptions in this game, and they couldn't really get the rushing attack going. But Julio Jones has a big bounce back. Two touchdowns in the game, has the game winner on a 54-yarder. And then Calvin Ridley with replay. Absolutely. You saw the speed that we that we could see out of Julio Jones and then Calvin Ridley finishing with eight catches for 105 and a touchdown himself as well. Yeah, I, I will eat crow on Calvin Ridley. I thought he was garbage. I, I mean, I've, I really liked him out of Bama, but I, I really thought this year he was a total fade. I thought that last year he had some very fluky touchdown numbers. Clearly wrong. I mean, he's he is every bit the number two receiver, as good a number two receiver as you're going to see in this league, um, you know, getting open and Matt Ryan loves throwing to him clearly. So those two guys are more than making up for, as you pointed out, the total disaster that is the Atlanta backfield. I really like Devontae Freeman coming into this year. Um, he gets out, out rushed by Ito Smith in this game. I just, I don't know what to make of it, man. Like, I, I think it's kind of scary that I, I, Philadelphia and Minnesota are two very good run defenses. Um, so, you know, there's still another week or two before you're totally panicking. But uh, if you have Devontae Freeman, if you use the second or third rounder on him, you are definitely not happy with what's happened here early in the season. 
Yeah, and if you're if you have anybody on Philadelphia's offense, whether it be Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson, you're a little frustrated here as well. I mean, that should help with guys like Zach Ertz and Nelson Aguilar, who finished with 107 yards on eight catches and a touchdown. Uh, but the the injuries that that Philly is seeing, I mean, these are two teams right now that are are. I mean, the, the fact that Atlanta wins this and now these two teams are both one and one, I don't think you or I would be surprised to see either of these two teams go six and ten or to go twelve and four. I, I mean, I think that they have the talent either of them to be to be a twelve and four, eleven and five, ten and six team. But I don't think either of us would be surprised based on the past to to see these teams kind of just fall apart and have you know whether it be for injuries or whether it be for just not being able to put things together. For sure. And I mean, the main reason why I would say the Eagles might tank is because of Carson Wentz. I mean, Wentz again leaves this game for a little bit in the middle of it. Josh McCown comes in, looks awesome, honestly. And it's just amazing to me that this dude can roll out of bed and play the quarterback position. It's just incredible. And um, I don't know why 31 other teams weren't blowing him up. I assume they weren't to be their backup. But, um, you know, Wentz is the factor here because if he's healthy, you know, he can basically drag this team to nine or 10 wins because of how good their defense is and their offensive line where Atlanta, you know, Atlanta needs pretty much everyone to stay healthy. They just don't have the depth that Philly has. And and we saw again, this game, their offensive line falls apart with, you know, injuries again, Caleb McGarry out, Lindstrom gets hurt. I mean, they're, they're the walking wounded up front. And I think you're going to see a lot more interceptions and fumbles out of Matt Ryan, um, which we'll talk about in the next show for next week. But um, Atlanta scares me a little more than Philly, but your point's well taken. Like they both are super, you know, volatile right now in terms of the, you know, where they could finish in their respective divisions. All right, aren't you? I, we, we have Monday night to get to. This could have easily been the dumpster five of the week as well. And it started out very rocky with Trevor Simeon going down, Obviously, Luke, uh, ex- excuse me, uh, Sam Darnold was was a story here. Luke Falk ends up finishing the game. He goes 20-25, but New York just looked horrendous on the offensive side of the ball. And when you think about their team from a fantasy standpoint, you know, they've got Le'Veon Bell. Jamison Crowder had a ton of catches week one. Robbie Anderson was a guy that so many people were high on coming into this year. Now I they're was, stuck yep. with Luke Falk for a few weeks after Trevor Simeon breaks, well, I guess he tore ligaments in his ankle. Uh, and, and we don't know exactly when Sam Darnold's going to be back. They're hoping after the bye. The Browns look good. Obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. has a big game, his longest touchdown of his career back at MetLife uh, for 89 yards. Looked looked really good in this one. Baker looked good at times, but still some inconsistency there. Uh, but what do you make of New York? I mean, the Jets, a lot of high hopes coming into this year. It doesn't look like it's going to be a good year for them. Uh, certainly not going into the bye. I mean, I kind of feel a little bit bad for Adam Gates. Look, this is a team, think about the midway through the fourth quarter last week, you're thinking we, we were going to beat the Bills here. Now we've got the Browns who look terrible next week on Monday night with Sam Darnold. And suddenly what happens? You give up that touchdown to Josh Allen. You lose that game to a division rival at home. Then you come back on Monday night. You find out your quarterback has freaking mono and is out for an undetermined amount of time. You go into the game with your backup with a little bit of hope. Your backup looks absolutely horrendous. And then he tears up his ankle in a gruesome injury. I mean, like the, the swing for Jets fans has to be just huge and very, very disappointing. But I will say Le'Veon Bell looks, I, I mean, he doesn't look as like explosive, but part of that is obviously not playing with Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger and all these guys. But to get 32 touches or what, 31 touches and, you know, do what he did. I, I was impressed with Le'Veon Bell, I'll just say that, um, considering all the time he's had off. And who knows? I, I mean, I'm not high on Luke Falk by any means. I think that they've got a long, long way to go with him. Um, and, I, you know, not high hopes for next week. But this Jets team, I mean, unless and until Darnold comes back after the bye in week five, you know, you got to just stay away from everyone not named Le'Veon Bell on this offense. I would agree on you. All right, we made it through week two, and we're going to touch on week three in the next show. We're going to preview everything. We're going to talk about betting lines. We're going to talk about fantasy. But I don't think we have time for leftovers on you. I think we need to let our listeners get back to their day before we get back to them in a couple days with the the next iteration of the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. What do you say? I think that's a good plan. All right. Thank you for joining us for week two. Our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. For Anshu Kana, I'm Josh Dunn. We'll see you guys next week, or next show, I guess. Fire!